Hey there, and welcome to the Multiply Church podcast. Multiply Church exists to glorify God through multiplying disciples in our neighborhoods and the nations. We are so thankful you've decided to utilize this audio resource and pray it will help you develop a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. However, this audio resource cannot and should not replace your participation in a local church. Our prayer is that this will simply serve as a supplement to the faithful preaching, teaching, and community you receive within your local church. If you are not involved in a local church, we would love to connect with you. Please visit our website at multiplychurch.church and click connect and fill out our connect form. We will get back with you as soon as possible and would love to have you visit with us on a Sunday morning or become involved in one of our missional communities. Now, let's dig into God's Word. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you. May He turn His face toward you and give you peace. Thank you all for being here today. And I am blessed that you would allow me to speak again. I'm Curtis, along with Zach and John and we help serve as the elders here and it's our joy and privilege I am um, as I said blessed that you would allow me to speak and just share some things that are on my heart from our scripture so let's look at where we're going so that we'll know when we get there here is our destination today if you could show the next one there Brandon How does your thinking and living fall outside the truth of God revealed in Jesus? Who is crossing your path in need of the grace of God? What three people can you tell this week the ways God transforms your life? That's where we're going to end up. So that we can know where we're going from the scripture. Now, here is our scripture this morning. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So testing the spirits, I am quite aware from a time on the field of testing the spirits because there is this spiritual element of the life we live. Unfortunately for many Americans, we just simply deny 
the spiritual reality. In fact, on a side note, if you look at the, the Halloween efforts, it's become and grown in the, in the horror films and all. It has a way of desensitizing us to the spiritual element that surrounds us. But I do remember many times, as does Tricia, as do both of our daughters, where we have felt the presence of evil spirits. As surely as I, as I could feel your touch on my hand. And the fear that it draws up within us, and then us needing to focus upon the truth of who God is. So that obviously is a part of what the scripture is telling us this morning about testing the spirits and be aware. But in 1 John, there is a bigger element than just that, because if it was simple as knowing is this an evil spirit or is this an angel of God, that would be remarkably easy for us. A bigger element that 1 John is bringing out to us here in this chapter and in the whole context of 1 John is about teaching and teachers and what they're saying about God and about Jesus Christ. John had laid out for us in the beginning when he started preaching some of the false doctrines and false thoughts that were circulating at that time and that the... John the Apostle was addressing. So when John is telling us here to test the spirits, to see if they're from God, he is coming down to say, look at the teachings. And you know what the test is, quite simply. How do people convey Jesus Christ? What is it that they say about Jesus Christ? Now, usually... Most errant beliefs and errant doctrines fall in one of two camps. Either Jesus is totally spiritual with no humanity whatsoever, or Jesus is totally physical, a human, and perhaps became divine but it's something that he either acquired on his effort that we can acquire or it's something that was imparted to him as merit because of how he lived. That's where you usually find the false doctrines that come, that come about. So it's important that when we're looking and using this test of Jesus Christ that we remember, as John lays out for us here, go back to the Gospel of John. Remembering very clearly... Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. He's a full human being as much as he is fully divine. It seems contradictory to us. How can you be both? But nonetheless, that is who he is. A full human being who is fully divine. Now, I put to us that where I see many of us as Christians struggling the most is this aspect. The full human being side of Jesus Christ, when you read throughout the Gospels, you see very clearly, he submitted himself 
to the teachings of God revealed in the Torah. And you see his phrase quite often, not my will, God, but your will. Demonstrating as a human the value of submitting to God's divine guidance revealed to us in Scripture and that it will transform our lives. This full God, full man, revealing to us how this is possible for you and I as human beings that do not have divinity in our DNAs. He lived his whole life fully calling upon God for wisdom, for guidance, for strength to rise above the struggles that he's facing in life. Showing us how it is possible as a human being to find from God the strength. You remember how Jesus in the garden before his crucifixion, this cup is so heavy, God, would you let it pass from me? Calling upon God for strength. Fully divine and yet fully human and demonstrating for us that as a human it is possible for God to interact with us. And then in his divinity, Jesus lived out a true purpose of life. To redeem the condemned people. John talks about that more in this gospel. We'll see that in coming weeks. That he exists to redeem the condemned sinners, you and I. And to take us out of our condemnation into new life in Christ. His purpose is to repair broken relationships with God and with each other. His purpose is to transform thoughts within us that have been corrupted so they align back up with who God is and what God thinks. His purpose is to restore hope to individuals that are full of despair, despondency, depression, anxiety, Fear, panic. There is a marvelousness of looking at the divinity of Jesus Christ and the humanity of Jesus Christ and how he demonstrates for us that God is both there and God is here in the world in which we live, operating with us. Now, what we see in this section of 1 John, in fact, throughout all of 1 John, is the primacy of self-sacrificing love. That's what Jesus demonstrates for us, because we, we, we understand that the word used for God's love is agape. We've already established that. And John uses it throughout this. And what is agape? It is that self-sacrificing love. To be involved, not because this person deserves it. Not because this person requests it. Not because this person desires it. 
It is simply, I want to be involved in this life. And if that's what he does in our lives is transform us. And so Jesus lives out in his life the primacy of agape love. I'm just a reminder, but in Greek, there were three types of love usually talked about. There's that brotherly love where I like you, I may not like you, but for now, I like you, we're going to be hang out together, phileo. That word is not used about God's love. There's the word eros, which is emotionally driven. I just kind of you know, I get a tingle when I'm with you. There's something good about our relationship together. So I, I just want to be with you. Eros is not used about the love of God. It is agape. Self-sacrificing love that says, I want to be involved. Jesus demonstrates throughout the entirety of his This is who God is. And this is how God transforms us as human beings to relate to each other. So significant is this self-sacrificing love to what John is communicating in this letter to this church that the word agape is used over 50 times in this letter. And in this chapter 4, the word agape is used more than half of those 50 times. John will be speaking on that more next week. But it brings to our understanding how utterly Jesus lifts up this primacy of self-sacrificing love that, that becomes a part of our life if we follow God. And allow him to redeem us from our condemnation. That's why, as we know from the Gospels, we join into his work and his purpose. And we become a part of redeeming the condemned. We aren't the sacrifice for the condemned, but we're kind of the go-between saying, Hey, hey, there is something wonderful that's happening from this person. Would you come and join a part of this? We're a part of the of restoring relationships. Me choosing to restore my relationship with you and my relationship with God. That's why we're a part of transforming our thoughts and lining them up more with the Scripture. That's why we are a part of restoring hope where we go. Because the primacy of self-sacrificing love is the very essence of what God calls us to Think of it like this. Jesus in our presence. He helps us to see that God is there. He's other than us. But God is here as well. He's with me in what I'm facing. He's there and he's here both at the same time coexisting at the same time, both there and here. You know, there is a struggle in our lives and often how human beings face God and relate to God. And that struggle involves the there-ness of God or the here-ness of God. 
for example, God loves me, with the emphasis on God. Well, that's a there God. He's, he's out there. He's holy. He's majestic. He loves me. This is an intellectual thing, but it's not something here that I can really experience. Or perhaps we say, God loves me, with the emphasis on me. Well, there's a hereness right now. Oh, God loves me. He's given grace to me. He's transformed me with often no focus on the thereness of God and how my life needs to be transformed into more holiness like he is. Jesus living among us demonstrates the thereness of God and the hereness of God coexisting at the same time. Now, think of it like this. Stand and just stick your arms out and you become a radius, whichever way you want to reach and touch. God is there in my past, but he's here right now in my present. God is there in my future, but he's here right now, my present. God is there in my present, and he's here right now in where I'm at. That no matter where you turn and who we are at what point in time, God is both there and he's here. That's why the scripture refers to us being in Ephesians, being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The thereness of God is in the hereness of where we are right now. This is the struggles we often have. And this is why Jesus is the test for false teachings, because in Jesus Christ, we see, we observe, we learn, we grow to see that God is both there, different than me, but he's here, right inside of me, walking alongside me. Now, the word antichrist, it's for you and I, we have read the book of Revelation that John wrote also. And there is much talk in the book of Revelation about the Antichrist coming. There's much talk now with the turmoil in our society. Are we in the end times? Is the Antichrist here? And as John lays out in Revelation, the Antichrist is the one who is totally opposed to God and, 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 and demeaning everything God is. That is true. Let's look for a second, though, at this church receiving this letter from John. Talking about false teachings. For me to recognize this person says Jesus does not exist and, and God does not exist, I don't need to give any acknowledgement to God, that type of antichrist is extremely easy for me 
to recognize and for me to stay away from. But it's the ideas that get close to God but aren't God's ideas. The teachings that get close enough to God but aren't God's teaching. Those are the ones that are more difficult to recognize. They are against Christ. They are opposed to Christ. And everything that Christ came to display for us, the thereness of God and the nearness of God right here in our life. So, the closer these thoughts get to God, the more we become lax about examining them. For example, these are some anti-Christ ideas that exist in our here and now. Now, we could spend time talking about what this church that John was talking to was experiencing anti-Christ ideas, and you would be surprised how many similarities there are between our current anti-Christ ideas and what that church is facing. But let's talk right now for here about the current antichrist ideas that present themselves to us. Gender fluid. God said in the beginning of his story with us in Genesis that he made distinctions and he made male and female them and called them good and as the story unfolds he lays out for us how he elevates both the male and the female. But one thing about gender fluid idea is this. It is the epitome of here. I feel. I think. I identify. It so removes the there of God and focuses so much on the here of me and myself that then I have to change the there of God in order to line up with my here. Failure. I was... On our trip last week, we ran into this with our daughter. When she called us one day, she had exams for her modules. It was um, on a Monday, beginning of her exam week for this end of the module. She came out of the exam, and she was in tears on the phone. As uh, you get to be older parents, I think all of us, that's one of the hardest things is when you get your child who's in tears and for a parent, when you know they're about to face another exam in two hours. <laughs> she had scored. It gives you an immediate score. Now, to be truthful, she knew that many times the professor would go and scale them afterwards and all that. But her immediate score was so far below what she usually scores, what she thought she would score, that she recognized I focus on the wrong things to study. 
And come to find out later, so did three-fourths of her class, for they all were distraught. But she, she said, I had to get out. I had to get in the car because I didn't want to face anybody, and I was going to break down in tears. And, and I feel like a failure. I have messed up. I, I feel stupid. I feel depleted. I'm, I am a failure. And, of course, being a good father, you know, I just said, well, um, you're not stupid. You may have made a wrong choice in what you studied, but you're not stupid. You know, dumb choices can be overcome, but stupid goes to the bone. <laughs> so you don't want to be stupid. <laughs> you do want to look, you do want to evaluate sometime in the future, what did I focus on and how do I need to do it different for the next module? But more importantly, Gabriel, you need to look to God because God is here with you in the now, lifting you up and able to calm you so that in two hours when you take that exam, you don't mess up that exam over the stress of this exam. That's a miracle of God. She called us later. She did well. God had helped calm her enough to focus in that two hours and then God had helped calm her enough to focus. So she's in the midst of the trauma of the now. And the there of God is present in her failure. But in this anti-Christ idea of failure. So many of us define ourselves as a failure. That's a here focus. I am a failure. There's no more future. There's no more hope. I'm forever destined how I am. I'm a failure. What we forget is the there of God who brings himself into the here of now. What he thrives to do is to help us stand up from our failures. And take other steps forward into changes of life. We define ourselves by how many times I failed. I've just failed. I always, I never, you hear these phrases? What God defines us as, how many times we will let him grab our hand and stand us up and work in our hearts to change. Perfection is an antichrist idea because, again, that focuses on the thereness of God. God has redeemed me. God is holy. God is perfect. God wants me to move towards perfection. And this perfection idea becomes, becomes antichrist when we define ourselves as what? <sighs> I'm not perfect. I've disappointed God again. Because he's holy, he's perfect, it's similar to that failure, only it's focused on the out there. I'm just not perfect. I, if you've ever read the translation, The Message, Eugene Peterson was a professor I had one time, and I remember we were in a class with him, and we were all bearing our hearts about this walk and this journey of faith. And 
and we're all talking about he's perfect, he's holy, we want to journey towards what he wants. And one of my fellow students said to me, or said to the whole class, he said, Dr. Peterson, I hear what you're saying, that God's in, he's here now in my imperfection, working in me, but I just, I, I, I keep messing up. I just keep messing up. And Dr. Peterson said what I thought to be the most profound answer I'd ever heard. He said, Scott, let me understand. You are desiring God, but you keep struggling with your sin. Yep. He said, so what's the big deal? He said, this doesn't surprise God. You see, in the thereness of God, who is holy and perfect in every way, He knows my imperfections more than I know my imperfections. And the thereness of God wants to be involved in the hereness of who I am, working to, to make my thoughts more and more in line with His thoughts, make my desires more and more in line with His desires, Make my behavior more and more in line with his behavior. Make my attitudes more and more in line with his attitudes. The there of God being in the here of who I am. The, the great theological word that's used here is sanctification. And why a focus on perfection becomes an antichrist idea is when we fail to realize why God is wanting to make us more and more and more holy as he is. He knows the weaknesses within us. And the key is, are my behaviors getting better and better, more in line with God? Are my attitudes growing more in line with God? Are my thoughts growing more in line with God? Are my desires growing more in line with God? Because if they're not, then we have to go all the way back to the beginning of who is Jesus in my life? The unengaged, the unreached. Here as a missionary, Tricia and I, having served 25 years, we of course have a deep passion for people in the world to know about Christ. But often we hear in the church today this phrase, the unengaged and the unreached that are out there, and God's desire is for all of these people to know them, and we've got to be so focused on these people. Nothing wrong with any of those thoughts. But immediately the memory that comes to my mind was when I was 15, and God had called me to go to Mongolia, I was excited. I thought I could go then. Then I found the mission board doesn't send 15-year-olds for 30 years. There's things I needed to do. But still, I was excited. This is where I'm going to there. I saw a missionary later. He's speaking in our church. I went up to him. Hey, I'm, I'm like you. I feel this call. I, that's where I want to be, these unengaged, these unreached peoples. That's where... I'm going to spend my life because God has set me on that. What advice do you have for me to be prepared for that? And he said, very simply, 
Share Jesus with the people around you now. You see how the thereness of God's desire who wants all people of the world to come to know Christ is absolutely true. But equal in the truth of God is the hereness now of how he cares about the people that are around our community that are in my workplace that I encounter at McDonald's or the Walmart or the grocery store, that he wants me involved in their life them towards redemption in Jesus Christ from the condemnation of their sins. It can be so focused at times on the unengaged and the unreached people that we have to stop and look and say, how focused am I at the very same time on the unengaged and the unreached that surround me right here where I live? It's easy in life to focus and pray for that country and those people. It's much harder for me to pro- focus and pray for this coworker and this sales clerk and this neighbor because it engages me to become a part of the self-sacrificing love of God. Love and hate can be a part of these anti-Christ ideas because love being this agape love, self-sacrificing I am going to be involved because I want to be involved. This person's important here. And remember in John we define hate is that word that means I've elevated myself above that person. That person's just not that significant to me. Hate like that. In the body of Christ, this idea of love and hate can become an anti-Christ idea in this simple way here. I love God. I'm I'm going to read his word. I'm, I'm studying it. I'm memorizing scriptures. I've memorized the entire book of Romans. I've memorized all of 1 John just because we're preaching through it. Man, I feel close to God. I love singing songs to praise God. I just love God. But I don't like these people I go to church with that much. Now, I'm old enough at 45 years in following Jesus Christ to tell you that the worst hurts I've experienced in life have come from people within the church. And the most betrayal I've experienced in life has come from people within the church. And some of the most discouraging moments in my life have come from people within the church. So being a human, let me tell you how I normally react. It's similar to what the psalmist says. Lord, 
pluck out their eyes and cut off their head and cast their bodies asunder. (laughs) And then I hear about a struggle coming upon that person, and I'll say, yeah, Tricia, that's great. They got what they deserved. But what am I expressing? Am I not putting that person lower than myself? And that's the my heart was God. There's something in my, in my thoughts and my attitudes that aren't lined up with you. What are they? And God would struggle within me and, and I would say, okay, God, I don't know how to pray for this person. And God would say, pray that I bless that person. And I would say, okay. <laughs> Do we have to take it that far, God? <laughs> But I would struggle and I would say, okay, God, bless this person. And then sometimes with some of those very people, I find out they've got a need in their life. They didn't ask me, but I become aware of it. And I would feel the guidance of God to change my behavior where God would say, now I want you to go and meet that need, Curtis. Oh, God, this is taking it too far here. You know, I love you, God. Just give me another book of the Bible I can memorize. But you see, the there of God is connected with the here of where I am, wherever I touch and move in my life, bringing me more in line with he, who he is and who he is is self-sacrificingly being involved in lives. And that's what he wants to transform me for. Luke records a unique story of Jesus. Where he had come from a healing event and his disciples were excited. They were pumped with joy And they came into this other village, and the leader of the village, the most important man, ran and fell at Jesus' feet. And in in the chapter 8, Luke records where he begged Jesus, Please come and heal my daughter because she's sick and she's close to death. And Jesus said, Okay. And Jairus is with him and walking with him. The entire crowd is so excited about Jesus. Everything that's displayed in this story of Jesus is that we're about to see another mass conversion of followers to God to let the there of God be involved in the here of my now immediately. And then it says that this woman who had suffered with severe illness for 12 years, to the point that she was penniless, working to find cures for her illness, edged her way through the crowd and just reached out and touched the the flow of his robe. And Jesus said, who touched me? Well, there were hundreds of people crowding in around him in this excitement, but he immediately stopped And he turned around to that woman that touched the flow of his garment. And he engaged her, the there of God engaged her here at that moment. And she is transformed. That is where the people of my neighborhood are 
wondering if the their God will even notice me right here. Oh, my heart burdens for the Mongols, and God, would you send us back to, to work among them. We still pray for them earnestly, and Chinese believers that are persecuting, but God continually calls my, my mind back to be aligned with his and says, Curtis, how many lives do you cross in your workplace who need the life of Christ spoken into them? How many lives do you cross at Walmart, at a gas station, at a fast food? How many times, Curtis, have I brought somebody to your mind that's in your contact list to reach out to them and speak the life of Christ into them at that moment? Here is who our God is. This is why the focus is on who Jesus is. Because Jesus lives before us, helping remind us that the there of God is only within the reach of our here and where we are right now. Drawing our thoughts and our attitudes and our mind and our desires more in line with who he is. Accepting our imperfections, accepting our failures, accepting our errors, but never walking away from us because he chooses to be involved in our lives. That's agape love. And he wants us to demonstrate that same agape love. As Zach said a few weeks ago, this is the demonstration that we are followers of God. As Jesus said, by this people will know you are my followers. So now we've arrived at our destination. So think on this. How would you answer this for yourself? How does your thinking and living fall outside the truth of God revealed in Jesus? Who is crossing your path in need of the grace of God? What three people can you tell this week the ways God transforms your life? As the worship team comes up, think on this. How will you answer this? Because the their God is here in your now, speaking to you. And that's what we're doing when we eat of this to remember his sacrifice for our sins and his blood that was shed for our sins that the there of God is in my here of now
walking with me to become more like him. Father, thank you. that you choose to be involved in my life and pour your love to me that I can be involved in other people's lives. Thank you for the holiness and the completeness of who Jesus is. Fully God and yet fully man. And give me new eyes as I read the Gospel of John to see how Jesus as a man submitted to you and received your very presence in his life every moment for wisdom, for guidance, for strength, for ability, for hope. To you be the praise, God our Savior. Through Jesus we proclaim our Christ. Amen.